dedicated to reviews and discussion of TV, movies, and books. Look for us at Daily Review on Facebook and Twitter and dailyreview.com on the web. That's D-A-L-E-Y review.com. This is Paul Dayton here from North Carolina. Hey, guys. And today we're going to kick off our coverage of the second season of The Handmaid's Tale. This first episode is called June, which you'll find out why if you get all the way through this emotionally painful episode. I was like so ready for season two and excited about season two coming. And then the second we started watching, I was like, oh my God, I can't handle this. It was like, what have I got myself into? I was all jazzed to watch it. And then so overwhelming. There was so much going on. It picks up exactly where we left off with June being taken out to that van and us not really knowing at at the end of season one, was this Nick orchestrating it? Was this something having to do with the Waterfords? Was this something having to do with Aunt Lydia? What was this exactly? And I don't know that June had any good idea because thanks to Elizabeth Moss, we're not stuck with an actress who's just stuck in the back of a van riding along. We're getting someone who's giving us this look on her face you could read it as a smile for a second there before they open the door and then close it again. Like I'm being whisked away or some other thing. Once- so I read it as she was feeling affirmed by Nick and saying, just go, just go. And I felt like she was sitting back there thinking I'm being whisked away. And it was in that moment, even when they like open the little, I don't, what is that little thing called between like the back of the van and like the driver, that little window. Yeah. I'm not uh, sure what it is. I'm not sure either. But so when they had that, when it opened and she saw the daylight, I think she was feeling like the driver was going to talk to her or even like somehow, you know, say like, hey, you know, it's fine, June, like we got you, let's keep going, that kind of thing. And so when there was that really abrupt slam, I think that's when we saw the switch in her. Oh, shit. Yeah, it was oh, shit for all of us. Like there was no chance this was going to be a happy situation. Did you remember that we had just had that whole we're not going to stone Janine moment? Were you like in that headspace that they were about to be punished for that? Yeah. Yeah, I mean the the uh, the summary um, preview puts that right in the front of your brain. But yeah, I'm I'm pretty good at being able to pick up right where the story left us. Which, if you are fuzzy listener, what Caroline is talking about is the whole scenario where Janine was going to be punished for endangering the baby by have by being stoned by the rest of the handmaids. Not just punished, but stoned to death. Yeah, it's called a participation. June Offred led this revolt against Lydia. And Lydia told us, both in the preview and in our memory, there will be consequences. I was so shocked. Like, the entire thing was so shocking of them being all dumped into the middle with all those vans making, like, a circle. And you didn't have any idea where you were. And they immediately put on those muzzles which is horrifying when you see that and you have those memories of everything with Emily and it just was like oh my god if you guys don't remember Alexis Bledel played Emily in season one and she was um you know horribly horribly 
punished of the right word i don't even know tortured is probably a better word by aunt lydia's crew and i just when as soon as i saw that i thought oh good god what is going to happen to these women well this whole sequence i think adds up to both the, the the scaring and the whatever you want to call it but but especially with the muzzle it makes me feel like and i'm not saying this as paul i'm saying this as you know, someone from Gilead that that the handmaids represent nothing more than breeding stock, right? Mm-hmm. So, you as breeding stock, if you if you buck around and make a mess of your stall, then they're gonna be t- tough on you. But if but if you're nice, they'll put you up in a nice room and be be cool with you. It's up to you to act however you're gonna act. But I mean, they don't understand. They're not even considering what kind of position they're putting the handmaids in because a second ago. They were professional women, not breeding stock, you know? Of course. So I don't think yeah. that the Aunt Lydia's whole side of it, that whole crew can possibly consider these women human because I don't think they could do the things they do to them if they thought of them as human. I think no. they have to separate themselves from them. And I think the muzzle is a big part of it. I mean, of course, they don't want the women to talk, but there's also just this sense of like, you can't see most of their face even. So there's like a sense of like, we're just allowing you to see where you're walking so that you don't like trip. It's almost just like, you know, convenience for those moving them. But otherwise, we would just cover up every part of you from head to toe. Now, I'm sure listeners will say bullshit, Paul, but I will say I felt that it was going to be an attempt to scare them straight. Once I saw the gallows and the whole nine yards, I thought it was going to be either they weren't going to hang any of them or they're going to hang a token amount to be like, uh-huh, see? Because as you were pointing out while we were watching, this is the future of the human race. You- and it's everything that their society is built on. I mean, everything. I agree with you. and But I can say as soon as they started going through those um, like kind of underground tunnels, I was trying to figure out where we were. So my head went from what's going to happen to the women to where are we? Like it kept vacillating back and forth. So when we're going through those tunnels and the way the slats were, I really thought we were in some sort of cattle pen, slaughterhouse Mm. kind of feel. train cars maybe? I don't know. It felt like a slaughterhouse. It felt like when they have to um, take like a herd of cattle and they have to um, get them to funnel down into like an orderly, you know, one by one kind of walking path. Yeah. And because these were women, not animals, there was more space so they could still be two or three across but it was like the way they were funneling them into a space and then when they came out into what looked like uh it looked like a stadium to me immediately but i sort of recognized it as like an arena and so i thought oh my god are they going to make them like fight like gladiator kind of something mm. because they had been you know asking them to basically do this stoning and then the they refused so i thought are they going to like force a participation in some sort of luckily they showed the gallows pretty quick well but my eyes didn't see that my eyes hit the sign that said Fenway Park. And I am shocked that they went through all the trouble of taking all the street signs down in every part of the different cities or the, or the city that we saw didn't take down the sign that said Fenway Park. You know, that was like, oh my God, because now we knew we were in Boston. Now we knew that they didn't actually take June freaking anywhere. You know, like yeah. she was actually close to like home base for all intensive purposes. So I was like, oh my God, she is actually close enough to know her neighborhood could be nearby her. You know, like she could actually know the lay of the land maybe better than people who were brought here from like Iowa or, you know, wherever, you know? And so it was like, oh my God, 
I sort of like got excited about the fact that we suddenly knew where we were, that then my eyes glanced over the gallows and I was like, oh, crap. You know, this is a whole different thing. When you look at those uh, shoots that you were talking about a second ago, um, the way that there were gaps in between the boards and everything, and it looked pretty ramshackle, kind of like you might expect from a haunted house or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. You could probably reason out that those had been constructed maybe hours before. You know what I mean? Okay. And that was to do what you were just suggesting, just disorient, make them not know where they were. Obviously, they couldn't masquerade a whole stadium. But for that whole part, until you get into the field, you had no idea, like you just said. And it was like, I felt like they could have just done it, you know, just whipped that up because they weren't anything. Yeah. They were just slapped together. And so that just speaks to the evil uh, going on in Gilead right now. Absolutely. So to your to your question about did, did we think this was going to be a, a true hanging? I did think maybe like every 10th one maybe would hang or even like some sort of other randomness of it. Yeah, uh, you know yeah. what happened because it felt like that would have actually been really impactful. There's something about the idea of saying, you know, like, look what we could have done to you. But it's like, to me, it was actually like kind of emboldening them. Yes, they did this. And yes, they brought you all the way to this point, but they're not going to kill you. There are so many people, though, that could live through that and be like, yeah, I could handle that kind of scare again. Or would be like, no, I'd rather avoid that at all costs. I think you're right. There, there will be a certain amount that will be emboldened, but I think that the divide caused by this will, will like cause a, a sharp bisecting okay. of, of the people that will be cowed and the people that will be like, fuck you, you know? Yeah. I mean, to me, if you weren't willing to throw the stone at Janine, you were in the fuck you camp, you know, like I'm willing to be brave. And so I see what you're saying about the, you know, they decide now, of course- there's more things that happen. So they have this fake out. And then I loved that part where, you know, they start doing these this prayer that Aunt Lydia's leading. And mm-hmm. we get just the voice of June. And she's like, our father who aren't in heaven, seriously, what the actual fuck? <laughs> and that is like what I felt like in that moment. It was sort of like, I mean, it depends on what had happened to you up to this point, of course, because some of these women were placed into homes where they were being taken care of. OK, and right. some were like really dismal. Um, you know, it, I think it varied. We saw that with like the way that Emily was treated by one uh, wife and then another. So I feel like there's many ways that these women were coming into this consequence part. And I think that you're right, that it's bisecting them now to see like, who still has like any chutzpah left in them, you know? Yeah, definitely. However, I do think that this concept of moving forward here uh, would change my tune. What did you think about Aunt Lydia and this whole idea of before you had the freedom to and now you have the freedom from? What do you think about this entire concept? Lydia, I'm not sure this is going to answer your question, but Lydia is the scariest kind of person, right? The kind that can emotionally completely change course just with a word, with a thought, you know, and in, and seem to be completely sincere either way, which makes you wonder whether they're sincere ever about anything, right? She can be, I want to feed you and make sure that you're happy and safe and and praise be and all that other bullshit that they say. And then one second later, she can show you uh, a woman that she has manacled from the ceiling, right? Mm-hmm. Because she 
she wants to be an object lesson. She wants her to be an object lesson for June to kind of straighten up because we can we can make things worse for pregnant women, too. It's interesting that you say that. You definitely did not answer my question. Um, so I'm going to I'm gonna go back to it a little bit. So it's interesting that you say that because I think that part of that is this idea of this freedom to or this freedom from. So I think that when you said the idea that, you know, the women are safe and then you, you use the word happy. And I'm going to say, no, Lydia never cares if they're happy. She cares if they're safe and they're healthy in terms of mm. like being able to have a birth. She never cares about their emotional well-being unless they're like you know, psychologically melting down. I disagree. I think that she would, she would prefer that they were happy. In, in her, her mind, it's possible for them to be happy. Just mm. they just have to accept reality, and within that confine, they can be happy. She has no idea. It's like she doesn't even understand how people work, though. Right. It's like they have to be happy with what she's saying, though. It's it's not like she's trying to figure them out and make them personally happy. It's, it's just like it's the new kind of it's happy. like right. It's like join join the dark side and be happy with it. But you can't like change what the dark side's all about. I mean, you got to yeah. just be what the dark side is. Right. 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 So okay, but this idea of freedom to and freedom from, I think specifically this has to do with women, and maybe this isn't something that you've ever thought about, but the concept of don't worry your pretty little head about it mm -hmm. is a very cliche concept of freedom from like your life is easier and so much more satisfying for you because you don't have to worry you have the freedom from worrying about paying the bills or needing to get a job or needing to whatever 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 yeah and it's like you can look at it in all different ways now there are some personality types that i know of women who actually do enjoy some amount of the freedom from they are absolutely willing to give up some of the control to their husbands or their spouses of of either gender and say I don't want to worry about bills. I don't really understand our finances. And I just want the freedom from the concerns about this. I'm going to hand it over to you and I'm just going to trust that you're going to take care of it. And they actually do like that. The majority of women that I know and hang out with would rather have a say in every part of their lives. They want the freedom too. But I can understand this whole concept of like, do you really want to worry about security of the house? Do you really want to worry about whether or not that, you know, the mortgage is paid for? Do you want to worry about this? Or do you want to worry about the day-to-day -day operations of your life and was not it, the bigger picture? Was it the commander or another commander <laughs> that made the same argument last season? Kinda, I want to say it was Waterford, right? The, the idea that that he was right. trying in, to in, say that in one they his, were taking things away in order for them to not have to even be concerning themselves. In one with of it. his secret room chats mm -hmm. uh, with with uh, June, we're not. I'm going to try to make a, a conscious effort to call her June. Agreed. I don't have any reason to call her Offred at all anymore. So just so you guys know, in case you're like, who the hell is June? It's Offred, guys. In case you the forget. character portrayed by Elizabeth Moss. Yeah, and we are going to call her June from here, definitely from here on out. But again, this freedom to or freedom from, I really, I, I invite all of our listeners to please, you know, chime in and let us know. Are there times that you've even found yourself maybe sort of abdicating your control in a situation because you did find some amount of comfort in the freedom from, as opposed to always fighting for your rights to make every choice in your life all along the way because you would rather the personal responsibility. I definitely know people, and I'll even say of both genders, 
who I, I would say like, okay, so maybe Paul, I will, I will throw this out to you. Do you feel like in some ways, because of the way our houses run, you have the freedom from worrying about say our kids education moment by moment, day by day. Now, not big picture, but moment day by day, you kind of rely on me to just take it over. You don't really know what books we use. You don't really know exactly what we're doing next. Bigger picture, certainly you do, but you have freedom from that. 100% accurate. So then you can sort of understand a little bit how Lydia's thinking could infiltrate a society and become this like, well, actually, I'm so overwhelmed with all my details. I would prefer to have some of these things off of my plate. It obviously gets insanely dangerous very quickly. There was the 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 woman that Emily was paired with mid-season last year who had been like, mm-hmm. for lack of a more congenial term, crack whore or something. Yes, she was. And um, preferred the Gilead Handmaid's Tale life to what she had before. Exactly. And she's a perfect example. She had freedom from her drug addiction, freedom from homelessness, freedom from the the day-to-day survival that she didn't know where she was going to get food or money or shelter or clothes. And now she had all of her needs met. Yes, there was absolutely a trade, but she she was willing to make the trade. And that's the part that's like, that's why this stuff gets so dicey. Because there's many of us who probably, if you have the comfort of listening to a podcast and watching a Hulu show, you probably are comfortable enough that we can't all appreciate the life of that crack whore, right? Right. We don't really know what her life is like. But we have to know in our minds, there are absolutely people like that who are not on Hulu listen, listening to podcasts, their life is very difficult and they would find some amount of comfort in the structured society that this is. And I bring this up not to have you guys like want to, you know, burn down our house, but because I think it's important to understand the layers and the complexity that comes with how they made this society and understand, especially when it comes to the Waterfords and maybe what Serena Joy's role was in all this, how Aunt Lydia's explanation to all these people about the idea of freedom from, freedom to, how this all could have come about. So that whole opening, there's not a whole lot of plot, really. It's it. They're showing us this event, and it's just one event, and it's got a punchline, and it sums up the whole thing, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. It reminds me, in a funny way, of, do you ever watch David Lynch movies? I have seen some. Um, what What you might notice about David Lynch movies is... Narrative-wise, they are really hard to follow. That's like their hallmark. Right, right. right. But- It's sort of disorienting. From scene to scene, you will be made to feel some way, right? Whether or not you understand why or or what's up. Yes. And that is the the trademark of, of those movies is that that's what he's trying to do is make you feel a certain way. Right. Whereas if you watch something like Transformers or something like that, they don't care if you feel shit. Just as long as you go from plot to point to plot point to plot. I usually feel tired during those movies. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. Um, I uh, recently bought a a book titled after Roger Ebert's review of a Transformers movie called A Horrible Experience of Unbearable Length. So. That's, uh, I actually funny. wrote that into him and he published it. He just didn't credit me. Roger was uh, <laughs> always a plagiarist from start to finish. I've always, he's been, you know, my alias this entire time. I didn't want to make a scene. 
But now the cat's out of the bag. A lot of people respect Lynch's work, but don't understand it. Now, this is a good example of being able to kind of bridge the gap where, okay, we understand what's going on plot-wise, but they're really doubling down on the making you feel part. I mean, the way that it was shot is very close to uh, June's face a lot of times. The colors were kind of in this very stark, contrasty kind of way that were... It was almost like you, it was almost documentary feeling, mm-hmm. you, you know, the way that it was shot in terms of the, where the camera positions were, how the lens flares hit the camera and our perspective seemed to always be from a handmaid's point of view. So like we were, we were boots on the ground with the other handmaids feeling everything that they were going through. You almost probably felt the the noose going around your neck, right? Yeah. And, and so my only point is that like most of the rest of the episode seem to be just to make you feel like back in it like you are back in the back in how you, how you felt about last season they they didn't want to mince words they didn't want to dance around they wanted to get you back in that feeling and i think because of that that's why the flashbacks which we'll talk about much later are not as gut-wrenchingly like i mean they're disturbing but they're not they're not like you know, punch in the face, like, yeah. like, like the present storyline. To your point of that, the, the music that they were playing during, during the Gallo scene was extremely impactful for anybody who watched the 80s movie, She's Having a Baby. You guys might remember that. It was the song, uh, This Woman's Work is what it's called. It's by Kate Bush. And if you guys look it up, it's the whole portion where it's like, I should be crying, but I just can't let it show. I should be hoping, but I can't stop thinking. It's the whole, uh, it's, it's this whole idea of, um, all the things we should have done, but we never did. All the things I should have said, but I never said. All that part. Oh, my God, you guys. I don't know if you felt this way, Paul. As a woman, I can tell you it was so confrontational to me in terms of like watching where women were in that scene and then sort of asking me like a mirror put up to me, like, did I say everything I could have said? Did I do everything I could have done over the course of time in our little society to protect women from this happening? Did I speak up enough? Did I say enough? Did I flex my muscle when I could? Did I turn a blind eye to things that I knew was happening? And I felt like for those individual women, it was like, could I have run sooner? Could I have seen the writing on the wall earlier? You know, could I have gotten out of here faster? Mm-hmm. Right. For June, should I have stoned Janine? You know, <laughs> all this kind of stuff that's like, if you guys have seen that movie, uh, and spoiler alert if you haven't. It's the, 30 years old. The portion at the end, though, is Kevin Bacon is the is the father of this baby. He is in the waiting room and they have made him leave the delivery room because the baby and the mother was going into distress and they are playing this song and he's like really racked with guilt because he had made bad choices during their um their marriage and their pregnancy he acted as if he didn't really know if he wanted to have this baby or not and now the baby could could be dying and she could be dying and here he hasn't appreciated who they are and what they were and what he had in his life and he didn't appreciate his life maybe that's the big thing didn't appreciate what he had Uh and now that it's could be gone it's like oh crap you know this this huge epiphany and so i won't tell you how it ends for for that family but it matched up so perfectly because it was a life and death moment for him he didn't know if they were going to live or die And then here they are in the gallows. They didn't know, am I going to live or am I going to die? And it tapped into all those feelings of like, did I do everything I was supposed to do? Did I 
did I actually live my life the way I was supposed to live it? Or did I screw everything up? Did I have a hand in this? Man, one song. Like you didn't even get all the the lines in any way, but like that was enough to like rip my heart out. You I, know, I love how the Handmaid's Tale music team, they're not looking to, to give a new artist like like a, a break, right? They want to they want to dig into songs that have some baggage and bring them in and say, we're willing to put that baggage in our show and have it all congeal mm-hmm. into an emotional, you know, typhoon for you. Mm-hmm. They've done that with other old songs. Nostalgia, too. especially, I think is so powerful for people. I mean, I can remember being younger, which then again makes me feel like, did I make all the choices I should have made? You know, along the way, it makes you have all these question marks because that's how you were feeling when you were watching this movie. Anyone who is uh, able to take a look at that movie and then watch this again, you know, and really appreciate the um, just the the layers, you know, all the complexity of what everyone can bring to this scene is like, wow, you're right. It brought the audience in and again, put us like smack back into season one and all the strain we felt in like two seconds into the show you know it, it was like a, a review of why we tell people you can't really binge handmaid's tale we beg you guys not to like please don't please don't please listen to the podcast in between please like mull on this please let your if you can watch emotions go back down and, and and feel the way that they are telling your body and heart to feel and just subject yourself to it for like 10 hours straight. I don't know what. You must be a Navy SEAL or something <laughs> because I can't do it. No, it's it's extremely intense. This episode splits pretty nicely into acts. And I labeled the next act punishment. You might think that the whole stadium scenario was enough. But mm. Lydia would disagree. She thinks you got to do a little bit more. Now that... I don't know if you ever tried this, but having to hold a stone, I mean, it's symbolic because the stones were their, their act of, of, uh, dissension, but the, the act of holding something extended from your body like that, we lift stuff up all the time, but we put it right down someplace, you know? Right. If you try to hold something out like that, those, those women, um, I was about to say girls, I don't think that would be the right thing to say here. Those women performing those roles. I bet their arms were noodles by the end of the day, being out in the, in, it might have been simulated rain, but still it was rain to them. Right. Uh, so they've got their their hand out like that for, for a very long scene where Aunt Liddy has to go around and get it exactly correct, all the stuff that she's berating them about and all the Bible verses. I am sure this is a multi, multi-take long day. Yeah. And they had their arms out, straight out in front of them, Super hard scene. We all know from survivor challenges how long people can last for stuff like that. And you're right that that your like shoulder area starts aching like immediately. This was a huge thing to make them do. And like you said, extremely symbolic. Were you shocked that Aunt Lydia would not have been aware of June's pregnancy? Now, when I said that I was I was right up to speed with where we were, I have to admit and not remembering exactly when that was revealed what do you mean i mean we go right from the the failed stoning pretty much to the back of the van with very little over you know extra time yeah but but i mean we had had all that time you know where i mean nick and 
June knew, Serena Joy knew, getting getting ready a nursery, yeah, all that right. kind of stuff. So I mean, it seemed like there had actually been. It seems like the not, sort of news. Not tons of time, but I mean, I'm saying from the minute there's a positive, I'm surprised there's not like a ding like, dong. Like they feed it up the chain. Oh my gosh, yeah. Wouldn't you think? Wouldn't you think it'd be like the first thing that happens? Yep, because then they start the whole care process. Yeah, yeah. You would have thought it just would have been instant. So I was really, really surprised when, you know, the other helper lady comes out and tells Lydia that June is pregnant. Do you think they make the wife wear pregnant suits? You know, oh, since gosh. since they make her simulate the birth and everything, oh my god, they make her wear like that would be kind of amazing if she suit. was like right, and they could like like do things that like simulates like swollen ankles or mm-hmm. like heartburn or stuff. That'd right. be amazing. Hot flashes, <laughs> hot flashes. I don't know about all that, but but yeah, no, I think that would be amazing. I, this whole concept of like simulated birth is like so disgusting that it wouldn't shock me if they needed to do a simulated pregnancy she ends up taking june in and of course you know immediately acting all like oh you know mrs garrett all around her girls girls how do we how do we welcome a miracle yeah but again that's just a veneer completely were you like all freaked out about what she was going to unlock in that cabinet or in that door Freaked out about that? No, I was curious, and when I saw the long rope, I I knew this is a this is a, a bell. This is this is a traditional act now in in Gilead. I guess so. So they must ring the bell every time there's a pregnant handmaiden. And I liked what you had to say when we like zoomed in on June's face right after the bell was ringing. Right, the bell tolls for thee. Yeah, in case you guys are not familiar with that, the the longer quote of that is, don't ask for whom the bell tolls, it tolls for thee. It has to do more with a funeral, but in this case, it's like... It works here, too. It works, because you, cause you might say, oh, I wonder why they're ringing that bell. And it's like, oh, you know why they're ringing that bell. So we proceed. There's a small act of defiance with the meal. What did you think about that? Would you have acted that way? Would you have been like, I'm not going to eat anything after the after again? This is where I'm like, I don't know if the whole gallows thing really was like working out the way Lydia expected, because you have the gallows stitch, you have the rocks, you bring her inside, you show her, you know, some food and she's already being defiant, being like, nah, I'm not going to eat that. No, I'm not hungry. So what like, did it work? Did it actually work? Well, as Aunt Lydia unkindly pointed out, the stakes at which June was was making her demonstration were much lower all of a sudden, you know, because it was just her. She was inside. She wasn't being rained on. She wasn't doing the rock thing anymore. She has to be coddled because she's pregnant. It was very it was a very easy thing to to defy her. Well, and I was even taking it like I don't know if you're taking it like it was just the meal if you're speaking about that, but I think she was talking about the Janine stoning that she knew she was pregnant then. And so she didn't opt to go in on it at that moment either because and like Lydia was saying like, "Oh, you're so brave that you didn't that you led that defiance when you knew that nothing was going to happen to you because you already knew you were pregnant." Mm. So nothing was going to happen to you. And I think that that is it was an interesting concept of bringing up the idea of bravery and courage. Like, you know, if you have nothing to lose and you do something defiant, are you actually being brave? You know, does that actually take any courage if you know you don't you're not really going to suffer any consequences? Well, she didn't tell anybody and she was out there holding the rock like everybody else. So someone else came when you when you saw that little person come by and you couldn't see their face. You go, is that Serena Joy? Remember when you said that? Because you we couldn't tell. But someone did say. 
she's pregnant. You have to let her stop. You have to let her stop. Yeah. No, I think it was a helper. I'm confused. What you're talking about when they were outside holding the stone like yeah, this. Yeah. I'm talking about Janine's actual stoning. She knew she was pregnant then. And she opted to drop her stone and say, I'm not doing this. And she knew being defiant wasn't going to have any consequences for her because she already knew she was pregnant. And I'm saying she didn't. She went through with all the punishment as the other women because she didn't say. She didn't say. So the bravery is still intact, you know, because she didn't she didn't say at any point, I'm pregnant. You have to stop. Ha ha. She never did. You mean that. for the gallows portion? For the whole thing. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, that's true. Very true. Very true. I feel like Lydia is, she's one of those people that she a little reminds me of like Proxy Snyder for those of you who watch uh, Colony in that she is also in this ladder of, you know, craziness. She is also a woman. She also doesn't have status in their society. And, you know, if she doesn't produce pregnant handmaids, even though she has freaking no control over that, she's going to be killed. I'm positive. So, you know, her fervor for like these these women staying in line is coming for her own survival in very much the same way that Snyder's fervor for like the prisoner camp is like the same thing. Like it's not to be torturous or whatever. It's like because it's my neck too. You know, she's like the Alec Baldwin and Glengarry Glenn Ross, where she's like ABC, always be conceiving. <laughs> exactly. You hit the nail on the head there, Paul. Got it. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah. So I don't know. I, I, it's not like you can ever truly have full empathy or anything for Lydia, because, you know, in many ways, you're like she is obviously the most insincere character in many ways. Or you can say she's the most sincere in whatever she has to get behind to survive herself. She's going to sell. Right. It would it would actually be a pretty interesting episode to see when Lydia lets her hair down who she is or who she answers to. Like, wouldn't it be interesting to see her called out on the carpet and her be scared like, of what it, someone's going to do to her? Like if she went back to her aunt dormitory, would it surprise you at all if it was like a lesbian fun fest there, you no. know? No, it wouldn't. It would not at all, especially because they're like most against that. Right. Right. Exactly. So that's, that's like, what I mean. that's always the key. Right. That's what I mean. Yeah. It's Snyder cooking up bacon in the kitchen. Right. It's right. like, yeah, but it, it's so tricky. I, I don't know if you guys don't watch Colony. There's so much of this stuff that has to do with like, you know, would you collaborate if you could? Um, you know, to try to survive within the ranks. Now, this is much different in that these women are not exactly having any say in this kind of stuff, which where they're put. But when you are put in your role, how do you perform it? And do you just try to do as, as well as you can in the role you were given in order for your survival? Mm -hmm. It's such a tough thing. The act of defiance leads to Lydia showing a little one more card in her hand, basically, which is we will punish pregnant women too. We just need the baby. And she takes her to this room where this woman is, is chained up to the ceiling and she just has basically like a run. That is her area, which I didn't even notice if there was a bathroom or a bedpan or anything. So this is like a highly degrading kind of punishment to exist in. And she has to sit there in the dark. They turn the lights off on her. If she wasn't putting on an act, then she was losing her mind if not already yes she kept repeating just the kind of gilead she was like she was like kind of like 
I don't know what the right word is, like growling at her like a dog. Remember, she went to the edge of her chain? Yanked the chain so it made the loud sound. Very intimidating. I mean, that that would get me in line, I'll tell you that. Especially because there's other things that they could do to you. I mean, they could they could saw your tongue off or take off a finger without it being, you know, they could burn your hand. They could do all kinds of stuff, even though you're pregnant, you know? Yeah. I mean, I know their goal is to, like, keep you healthy. And so, you know, they probably wouldn't want to, you know, put in infection and stuff. But obviously, they don't care if you lost your freaking mind. I'm honestly waiting until they just chain these women down, period. Like, you know, calves for veal, where, like, they they're... There is no actual reason in this society for them to have any freedom whatsoever. Them doing these shopping excursions, them doing anything doesn't actually make sense to the totally utilitarian stance on them. You know, like it would actually make more sense to chain them to beds. But here's the thing. They're so screwed up in the way that they're looking at the the problem. They would think of themselves as as uh, jailers or something or sinners if they did that you know right we're gonna go just so far well and and it allows you to to do what lydia does which is the freedom from mindset right Mm -hmm. that says within the within the box that i have defined there is happiness according to me (laughs) right And, and you can find it i promise you know, yeah, that works for Gilead at large. You know, that mindset. Actually pretty scared given what happens in this episode that what June's actions are going to cause for the rest of the handmaids in terms of what is going to be their defined box anymore. Whatever the box is, it's going to include one really mangled hand for most of them. Can you believe that? Holy God. Because like you just pointed out, you don't need a hand to get pregnant. Can you even, oh my God, that whole scene, oh my God. I was trying to think about June's role and her sitting there and her like, you know, being able to see because it was like a little like serve out kitchen area and then being able to show the area, you know, where they were doing this. Yeah. Holy crap. I mean, her just going back to, to, to spooning in the soup and staring straight ahead. I mean, you asked a really good question. Like, is this now going to cause a gigantic divide between June and the rest of the handmaids? I think it's gotta. I think it's gotta. I mean, other stuff happens where June and the handmaids aren't together anymore. But even if she had stayed, they would, they'd have this hand, you know, in a mitt with, with, goo all over it for the next couple of weeks while it healed a long time months you know yeah and she'd be eating her soup right you'd start to be like hey my hand (laughs) no i i totally agree with you and i think that there's something so um i was trying to decide like was it like june's own act of like control in that situation where like it's so weird. It's like all she could do is control her own situation in that moment. So it's like, are you going to go down and be chained up like, you know, the person downstairs? Or are you now going to, I don't know, somehow seem like you're in control in that moment? I mean, I know it totally wasn't, but there was something so strange and like confusing about 
you know, the person screaming in the background, you know, you're a part of that. And then yet you're just staring forward, eating your soup, knowing those other people are all staring at you and staring at the woman behind you. Yeah. Oh my God. I mean, the amount of psychological complete torture that has gone on with these women, unbelievable. I can't, I mean, we really can't even delve into it. I, a listener who's got more psychology background could help us understand that the true ramifications of all this. It's all by design though. June has her own deal now. She's not going to get her hand burned at this point. At least not right now. That's the other thing. It's really all just like delayed punishment because why would you not be like completely abused once you gave birth? But Lydia needs the other women to see she's not getting her hand burned probably no matter what. That's true. You know? So we go to this doctor's office scene that was like really gross and and scary like how it was like totally you know everyone else was on the other side of this curtain but it was like the strange shadow puppety kind of effect we had seen that before with the other the other doctor who was not the same doctor as this doctor no this wasn't and you know what really really grossed me out i mean serena joy coming in and talking to and being pissed at her and stuff like this is all understandable i'm sure they told her you know, your handmaid is the one that started this whole, you know, revolt and blah, blah, blah. Right. Yeah. But the part that like completely messed with me was the idea of Fred coming in and deciding to hang around on the doctor side of the curtain. That is a move that I can honestly say is beyond rare. I know they eventually showed him going over to the computer screen, but when the exam started and everything, no, he wasn't. No, he wasn't. He was hanging around, peeking around, which is really gross and really like over the top nasty. If for some reason you are a single man listening to this, you need to know that ultrasounds performed that early in pregnancy are internal. So there is a privacy issue there beyond just rubbing something around on a belly or something. That's not the phase yet. I literally don't know any man at all really anybody who would be in there who wouldn't who doesn't come on the other side of the curtain and like you know you you are on that side and usually the screen is on that side as well so i know in this case they don't care about june seeing the results i get that but there's just something so like sinister perverted disgusting controlling that fred would need to be on that side in that area like so disgusting it really like that really stuck out as like a major scene for me of like disgust the commander and sj have this total like bonding moment over their baby and suddenly they're feeling oh so good about june and she's got to have her parting shot there what the kiss on the forehead or something else no and she's like giving her some shit and she's like you wouldn't want to upset the baby kind of stuff <laughs> like the whole yeah just the whole uh, untouchable you know that uh, she knows june knows she's untouchable as she's pregnant and she's definitely going to you know use it as much as she can during this time all right so we have a random guy who is apparently an orderly looks like an orderly he did Leaves a key in her boot. Oh, that was so amazing. And if you took a good look at the key, it had a little red square on the actual key, which was so subtle that you might not have noticed it at first, except for when she's putting her boots on, she is like heading out, like trying to figure out what could this key be used for. And it was, of course, to unlock the door. And then she goes outside and she like figures out that the little red square was, you know, right by the stairwell, like go this way. And I was like, oh, that's so brilliant. And it also reminds me back to 
um, an earlier episode in season one where they used that Alice in Wonderland kind of feeling, mm. you know, because this was very much like she was heading downward, downward, downward into the rabbit hole kind yeah. of feeling. And there was like this individual path and she had the key. And if you remember, that was like part of it, too. And going going down, 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 it it worries me about where the season's going, because, you know, in many ways, this was such a hopeful kind of thing. Like she was absolutely we were hoping going to escape out of here. I was so scared when she was like trying to look around with the flashlight down in the actual like darkest tunnel. And it's like she went all the way to the end of the tunnel and then she actually needed to come back. I was like, oh, my God, how would you possibly find a microscopic pinky sized fingernail red square in a dark tunnel? You know, when you know your time is like it's got to be minuscule until they would recognize that you were not in that room. All that was very suspenseful, but I know you want to know, want to talk about what did you think about her boots? Oh, that's funny that you say that. Cause I think I've seen those boots in your closet. I do own those boots. That's hilarious. Mine has a purple zip up the back and like studs on it though. But that's hilarious that you noticed that. It's the color of the suede that you are noting. It's interesting. I mean, because, I mean, you didn't buy those boots with the intent of, of looking subservient no, or, I owned them or before the show conservative came out. Or, or anything. You, you no. bought them just for style's sake. And yeah. so I was a little surprised to see such happening boots underneath, you know, the traditional garb. I those boots are a curiosity to me. I'm not quite sure um, because I agree with you that they are they're like sort of work boot ish, but there is a strange kind of like style to them. A little flair, yeah. Kind of. I know. I'm with you 100, percent which is such so odd that we would think that. But you're right. You are totally right on that. Going back to the rabbit hole. But, uh, wait, I thought you were gonna say I, that I was gonna say something about the fact that like it's hard to believe that she would have been completely unchaperoned. At really oh. at any point with the doctor exam. Like, I can't believe that Aunt Lydia wasn't on her, like, white on rice. See, that's the part about about uh, Gilead is is that they truly think that they're going to be better off if everybody just believes the same way, mm. right? So you think that they just, by that point, they were, like, sort of, like, also, I don't know what, like... Once a handmaid's pregnant, everybody's on pregnancy patrol, you know? So everybody wants the same thing, right? Healthy babies, and so, yeah, it part of it is is being trusted that you're not going to go anywhere because you want to be part of this pregnancy. It just finds seems so odd right after everything, you know, right after, you know, I just it's like, oh, my God, I, I just couldn't believe that she didn't have somebody or a guard outside the door even because what if someone burst in and did something to her? Maybe the orderly, that was his job. Maybe that was the orderly's job was to keep an eye on her. But. Wow. I don't know. It was extreme. I was so panicked the entire time that she was heading down to this tunnel. She successfully got into that truck, which looked insane, like this this meat truck, which was like exceptionally savage looking. It was interesting, right? How how she starts the episode in a truck and then is forced down a chute and then she ends the episode forced down a chute and into a truck. I wouldn't say forced down a chute. She. Oh, yeah. By Yeah, you're right. Right. On her own, she runs down a chute and into a truck. Better way to put it. I but, like that. But still, it's a reversal. 
Right. Yeah, and and amazing. And again, it it reminds me of the of Alice in Wonderland, you know, like drink this, one thing happens, eat this, another thing happens. It's like very um, uh, you know, she gets really big, she gets really small. Yeah. That kind of thing. It's like opposites and it's mm-hmm. like that is totally what's happening here. Like on one hand, she was like at her very lowest, her smallest, if you will, when she's having to look at this handmade who apparently drank like drain cleaner or something. And that's why she was chained mm-hmm. up in there. Um, and so she was at like her very lowest. And then now all of a sudden she gets to ski. Now she's at her very biggest again. You know, it's just like, eat me, drink me, you know, like, whoa, crazy. What's next? What's next is what we were all waiting for. Right. I mean, at the end of last season, we were like, is Nick going to get her away? Is, yeah. she, is she on her way to her death? What's going on? And, and so they gave us a huge false start with the with the gallows thing, but we wind up with, with Nick. Old Nick. Yeah, I was so relieved with him and so happy to see him and just like, oh my God, is this actually happening? Is this actually happening? And, you know, I appreciated that this man who was the the truck driver was just like, just get in there. <laughs> like, and she's just like, what's going to happen next? She's like, shut up, just go in there. I don't know. Yeah, you he's, know? He's, he's your hope for humanity in Gilead. Like, he truly He didn't is. give a shit about any of that stuff. You know, the under his eye, whatever. He's like, no, but the drivers in general are absolutely like the key. You know, this idea that there is this band of people who are going to try They'll to- They'll get strung up if they get found out. Oh, so. absolutely. Oh my gosh. They, they're they like the key to this entire, you know, unraveling of this society. So she goes through this very ritualistic changing from going from the handmaid's outfit and ensemble and everything, including her hair, including that awful ear cuff that was quite a scene we couldn't actually watch that one through just normal eyes we both kind of look, <laughs> looked at it out of the corner of our eyes i kept just, looking at paul i was like is it over is it done is it over is it done because i i mean she was using scissors so you got the idea like she cut a little bit of her of her cartilage off yeah i think she i think she was trying to snip you know, like, I mean, there's a hole with a cuff, right? So, yeah. I mean, I think she was trying to snip down and then probably try to move the cuff over a little bit and try to pull it out. But I think ultimately she had to just cut almost like a pie shape to just get it out. That's what I could guess. It was an awful lot of blood. I mean, yes. I know there's a lot of like, you know, blood vessels and stuff on your ears. Are very sensitive. You're not going to so, bleed holy out, cow. but it's going to be a mess. Damn, that was a lot of blood. Oh, my God. I felt so happy for her, though, when she was putting the, the, the red dress cape, if you will, into the fire, into the furnace and cutting her hair off. And... You're right. That was very ceremonial oh, because my you were you she were wondering it and everything you were wondering, Nick. You're just handing her the, glo- the the scissors. I mean, you know how much easier it would be. Same with her hair. I honestly, it would be hair. tremendously more helpful if someone cut your hair. But it it's like she had to go through it alone because ultimately she is kind of alone in this whole thing. Agree. And even though I didn't actually see him ever offer anything, but I do think she would have she would have declined any assistance with with the whole thing. I felt very, you know. The way that the camera work was done, where it was like a square where you were watching her, like the clothes were like placed in there. And then she 
you know, uh, the camera was on the other side and you could see her face, you know, throughout Yeah. and, you know, her lighting and on fire. I was like, oh my God, it's just, it was amazing to actually see all that stuff go up in flames. And she, she basically recites like a, a statement of, um, she says, my name is June Osborne. I'm 34 years old. I'm five foot four with my feet flat on the ground or something like that. She's 120 pounds. She has viable ovaries. I am free. And it was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. And the song plays uh, Going Back to Where I Belong by Sugar Pie DeSanto. So good. So freaking impactful. I, I am so hopeful that Nick is going to end up being a good person in all of this. I'm very nervous about him in that I feel like he has he has a strange interest in controlling her as well. And so I'm sure. nervous about where he's going to flush out in all of this. I'm scared there's going to be a point in time when her um not going along with the plan is actually going to turn him and have him start being overbearing with her in a way that gets scary, you know? I mean, he has all the power, you know? And if she just said, look, Nick, I don't want to be with you. I just want to go run and find my husband. I don't think that's an option. No, because you're right. There's going to be this moment where he's going to say something along the lines of, well, I'm the baby's father, so I get to say something along those lines is going to come before too long. And he's not wrong, but it's like... Oh my God, you know, I mean, I, I just, I can see this coming down the road in a way that if it doesn't happen, it seems unbelievable that it wouldn't because I mean, she is basically required to stay with him as a relationship, you know, mm. I mean, she has to for her safety and the safety of this kiddo, the kid could be taken from her at any second, you know, so she can't, you know, she has to go along, which means you're not really free anyway, even though you're with him. Oh, so scary. So, so scary. So what did you feel about June's thread here? We're going to go back and talk about flashbacks now, but talking about from from start to finish, her sort of ebb and flow during this episode, what'd you think? If you were living through that, it would feel about like this episode did, which was just a blur of emotional highs and lows. Right. I'm sure she felt the terror that you were supposed to feel in the stadium. And she felt the feeling of, uh, of being a caged animal dealing with Lydia in the gym and the whole food and the other handmaid and all that kind of stuff. And then uh, what well, was kind of like a freed, not a freed, but an escaped prisoner at one point. So that's a that's a very adrenaline kind of soaked period. I cannot even imagine the fear. And then meeting up with Nick again is, do you dare feel a moment's relief? You I don't know? No, I don't know. Do you dare feel hopeful as you're like, as you're burning the clothes and ripping the ear cuff out and cutting your hair? Like, do you like dare to feel hopeful for her or as her? I don't think I could at that point. I think it would be like, <laughs> I need a minute. <laughs> I, I kind of, I agree with you. And like, and that's a funny word about this episode. There's parts to it that absolutely feel hopeful. Then it also feels like an incredible setup. Is this just a new hell? Did you just go like out of the frying pan into the fire? You know, quite literally her handmaid's outfits and stuff went into the fire. Did she, June Osborne, just go into the fire? Because she doesn't really know what is facing her. She doesn't know what's facing her outside of the walls of the Waterford's house. You know, this sure. very protected 
status that she has as a handmaid. I mean, now as she's leaving this, I mean, it feels like anything could happen. What's the whole saying about better the devil you know? Lydia's the devil she knows. That devil is so bad. And Serena Joy especially is probably the devil she knows. That she's willing to risk the devil she doesn't. (laughs) Right? I agree. I just don't think that it was even... I think, you know, there was sort of that feel of like, provided you got away from this devil, you were free, you know, and I feel like there's that haunting feeling of, but what in the world must the rest of the world be like that this is going on, yet you're still stuck in that world? So, I, you know, in, in talking or thinking about that, that's what led me to this idea of talking about the flashbacks, because, again, we're sort of trying to understand, like, how did our society get there and what's going on in society that no one is like storming the walls of Gilead and getting these women out of there, including other countries. You know, what's happening? The flashbacks, believe it or not, like I mentioned earlier, did provide a moment for the audience to catch their breath because they were kind of slower paced in comparison to the the main timeline narrative. The stakes were a little lower, but what I liked about them a lot was that they gave us some really great world building stuff. There had been some things talked about in the first season, but not much detail given. There's not a lot more detail now, but at least they're starting to to look at the time period of the changeover from the United States to Gilead a little more closely. We're getting we're getting very close to when that happened in the in the flashbacks at this point. Yeah, I don't know how microscopic the time is going to get cut down into this portion about, you know, first of all, these subtle changes that they allude to this idea that, um, you know, in this flashback, we're focusing in on just June, Luke and Hannah and just their everyday, quote unquote, normal life, you know, would look very ordinary to most of us until she gets to the part about talking about going to Walgreens and needing to pick up her prescriptions and that she needs to get Luke to sign this form. And what's clear to me is that this is early enough that Luke says, really, they look at this form like it's even a thing, which says to me, it's been going on enough time that he has signed it before. And then it's sort of been enough that that's kind of been normalized in some way because he's not like outraged by it, but he's more like annoyed. Like, really? They actually look at this thing like all the times you went with the form. You actually had to produce it, that kind of thing that it was like, okay, this there was some small movements that were made. And in case you guys didn't pick up the small thing there, it was that the husband needed to sign off on the wife taking birth control. Right. And again, who is this to? Does that mean, I mean, this is pre-Gilead, which means this was the United States government, I assume, requiring that form. Not the turned over government where that Gilead had taken over, right. but the what we would consider the, the before government. You will remember that pre-Gilead, the whole reason that the whole reason that handmaids exist is because getting pregnant and staying pregnant have become super hard to do. So the idea of preventing pregnancy is something that the government needed to address, apparently. Our government needed to address. So that's that's why they're talking about it in right now. We assume. I mean, we're not we don't know exactly who or what or why and who's taking up this information and what exactly is happening. Right. Like the pharmacist is, I, I is don't know. like is is in charge of this uh 
this this signature i don't know i mean and who is who is following this and who you know who's requiring it it is unclear at this point of who exactly is doing it and who's collecting the information and what happens if you don't have your form and all this kind of stuff then we have this added element of hannah getting sick we have her be able to show us how precarious it seems like the whole, I don't even know what to call it, how much the government is infiltrating individual families. Oh, this nurse uh, felt like she had every right to call into question things that if performed by a mother or father today with their eight-year-old or however old Hannah is, be very normal stuff. Giving your kid medication before they go to school is not a federal crime right now. Right, but, you know? but, but, but what she was saying was interesting because, again, when we talked about this freedom from stuff, one of the things that Paul has a freedom from is not really knowing exactly what the rules are about sickness and kids at school. It is a kind of a bullshit move for a mom to give Tylenol to a kid in the morning knowing that this kid you are basically trying to sidestep the rules. You're trying to keep that fever medically lower to avoid triggering a nurse call. I know that she said it like, well, she felt a little warm, so I just gave it to her. And plenty of people give it to their kid as like a precautionary thing. Like just, you felt a little warm. This is probably going to be nothing. I'll just give it to you so you just feel better. You know, it's kind of an anti-inflammatory kind of thing. Um, just in case things are a little flared up. But if things are a little flared up, as a stay-at-home mom, I it's no big deal for me to say, oh, just stay home. You know, it's fine. But if I had to go to work, I would be way more inclined to say like, hmm, you know, I, maybe this isn't anything. And I, that has meant no offense to those who work or those who stay home. But for my own self and our own house, it is not as big of a deal if a kiddo needs to stay home than it is for, I know, my friends who are working moms. It's a really big deal for them and it's very difficult. I thought it was really interesting when she was asking all those questions like, well, what are your plans if, you know, if, if not, if your child is sick? Who watches your kiddo? That's when things like that's when things are like spinning where I'm like, whoa, that's further that I've never heard, you know, mm -hmm. and having watched This Is Us, spoiler alert to anybody who hasn't with the whole Deja story. If you recall, that was where the CPS line was drawn was like, if your mother's not around, what's the plan when your mom's not there? And if you don't have one, that's when CPS like steps in from the whole Deja storyline so had the mother say oh there was a plan she's supposed to go to the neighbor's house blah, blah 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 it would be a pretty routine in conversation but because there was sort of like that and of course she said a very normal thing june said either myself or my husband would stay home it's not that big of a deal that's a very ordinary plan that's what most of our plans are um but it did seem it raised all my flags for like holy crap like there's a fair shot they're gonna call cps you know right because they couldn't reach june and uh, apparently not Luke either, but they didn't even mention trying Luke. It sounded like though he had he was out of the area, like he was making some sort of delivery or doing something. And according to um, June, he said he was on route back to the area. So it was like, oh my gosh, the whole thing of when the when the when the um, school said we sent her in an ambulance. That sounded actually very familiar from our experience with school nurses. There <laughs> doesn't take much for a school nurse to just call in the medevac. It was such a big deal. But then also I thought like, oh, my God, would they really send an ambulance for a fever, like 101 fever or something? Like, really? An ambulance? Like, 
Wow. I don't, but again, we know that we're in a society where children and the you know health of children is a really big deal. And assuming people must be getting sick on a more regular basis, there must be higher levels of concern about something like a fever, you know, because there has to be some amount of an epidemic going around that, you know, even if it's if it's not understood at this point in time in Boston, there has to be something happening, right? That is that is coming from the toxicity. You know, it's it's got to be getting layered at some point. It can't just go from one day to now, you know. Something, an event of some sort that has not been described caused the condition that the colonies find themselves in. Which okay, is, and that's from the book you're speaking of, right? Because Yes, yes, from the book. And it is irradiated ground, basically. Could that stuff have already happened? Or, I don't know. or is that more like changeover stuff? Or did Gilead find itself at war right when it was born? Right. Or- like, was there like a nuclear nuclear ballast? Was there a, you know, like what happened exactly that caused the level that we're at currently with Gilead? You know, where yeah. everything's so much more like, you know, food rationing and all this kind of stuff. Like, what exactly is going on? We're not sure. And so I I really I'm interested to know if there was any amount of illness or if illness has taken on a, you know, a a quicker pace that that's why the school would have immediately called a hospital or if it's just school nurse bullshit. They like to flex their muscle for whatever freaking reason. So that scene was very tough to watch as a parent, but we finally get Hannah home. And they, uh, but I was scared the whole time. Were you not scared the whole time that it seemed like she wasn't going to get to take her home? Kind of yes, kind of no. I mean, they did get Hannah when they during their escape attempt. So I know, but we don't, we didn't know, we didn't know exactly how that all went down. Like, did they go get Hannah from somewhere else, like a government place or something? You know, like we don't know, and we still don't know. Like, are is the CBS officer going to come knock on the door? When they, when, you know, coming soon, I don't know. I have no idea. Are they going to come collect Hannah and then somehow they grab her back or something? I don't know. At any rate, they are using that very cool tool where the news tells us stuff about the broader world. Before you hit that part, I want to hit one more, one more thing because it's so important to, like you were saying, like the bookending of things or the opposite day moments. Um, the nurse keeps calling her Luke's last name, like Mrs. Ben Cole, I think, was us. Mm-hmm. And she says, my name is June Osborne. And she says it really clearly in a way that she also says it at the end of the episode. And so I thought that was really cool about how many times she was having to stand her ground and say, that's not my name. You're saying my name in the form of my husband's last name, even though I'm telling you that that's not my name. And that's just so fascinating to me that it was happening in such a subtle way. Because again, it goes back like how we talk about like what's happening in today's society that you could extrapolate to now. Well, one thing that's happening is that women who don't change their names are constantly and consistently called their husband's last name. Sure. Even when they correct the person and say, that's not my name, they say it, the person continues to say, essentially, off Luke, right? Right. Mrs. Luke, if you will. 
how much did we tolerate that for how long did no one say like you're not going to do that anymore no one is going to do that anymore what did that shift into it's fascinating because it's such a small thing that is such a huge thing so back to your news commentary the event at the capitol that was alluded to last season about uh, the gunmen coming into they said the capitol i assume that means house of representatives yeah. or something congress and started shooting people up if you recall i believe it was moira who described the whole thing as a put on i mean yes i'm sure they came in and killed people but it was it was an inside job basically it was the same people that took over the the government it was it wasn't just some random gunman out to to kill senators or representatives if i'm wrong on that someone let me know how, if the continuity is not it right wouldn't there. surprise me if it was like fred waterford and all those guys i assume maybe anybody who was willing to do that became a commander i would bet that there was some amount of the regime that made it like a coup d'etat sort of situation where it wasn't just like businessman or something that came in and did this this was like you know there were a few senators a few reps a few secretaries uh you know cabinet members i mean that decided to do do this you know what i mean so that's what i mean by inside job like mm -hmm. they they rotted the american government from the inside out well and that was the conversation essentially you know if you recall like where serena joy was cut out of i assume those mm. were those planning meetings that mm -hmm. were happening that you know she had to sit outside and if you remember those guys came back later and they were calling them words like congressmen and stuff that's what we got to see and, and june really wanted to see but Hannah needed her, so and, you know, I'm like, DVR that shit, Luke. Come on now. What exactly do we feel like we were being told in that moment? Because there had to be something very specific that we were being told exactly right then. It had to be something about that women weren't able to keep up with the information because their day-to-day -day duties of like raising their family and taking care of their home and their kids basically distracts them from being able to keep up with the larger world events. And Luke, as he was criticized last season and, and showed it in this episode, they didn't change his character at all. He's still essentially a good guy who didn't do the mental math to put it all together. He was just like, whoa, dude, check it out. They shot up this capital. Like, that's just today's news event. Maybe tomorrow will be something else. You know, he wasn't, as you were saying, like the, the women, she represents distracted women with real life and Luke represents distracted guy with whatever guys worry about. Well, and they also didn't like tag team. He didn't say, go in and lay down with her. I'll come in in 10 minutes so you can watch the replay of what happened. Like, it was like he was in the know and she was literally in the other room laying down with the kid. He didn't relay information. He didn't pull the TV into the other room. He didn't try to trade spots with her. Like, all the things that goes back to the original song at the beginning of this of like the, all the things I could have done but I didn't do. How many times were there moments when like you just... You didn't even realize that you weren't being informed or you didn't keep up with what was happening because just regular life distracts you. And that's so understandable. You know, yeah. I thought they that they showed it so well. And if you remember, though, Paul, it wasn't just the Congress. I mean, it was the Capitol that happened, the shooting in the Capitol. But then later on um, and they say over the thing, martial law declared in Boston. That was one of the first times I really put it together because they showed Fenway Park. 
at the beginning of the episode. And then in the flashback, they say martial law declared in Boston. That's when it was like, ding, they did live in Boston. They are still in Boston. She said, I'm it's like June all together. Osborne and I live in Brooklyn, Massachusetts. No, I think she said I was born in. Born in Brooklyn, Massachusetts. Yeah, but it all like, bing, like it all came back together for me. That was like, okay, okay, we're right. That is, this is all right, you know? But then they did mention the White House explosion as well also happened oh, yeah. and so all this stuff was happening and hannah was was calling for her saying you know mom mom that kind of thing that again it was just like oh my god this is so crazy that she it, it's just such a fascinating snapshot of what is happening in homes across the world that in many ways the the men are have the freedom from when it comes to the kids because us we often are the ones that are are with the children then we are cut out of those meetings we are unable to participate in the conversation on the same level that a lot of men because they have that freedom from they have a partner or a spouse that watches after the kids and then they are participating in the social changes that are happening in in a more regular way do you see that in the same way as a man in society like do you understand sort of what i'm saying when you have an opportunity to hear other people talking and like a lot of women are not there at those conversations A, a person only has so much mental bandwidth in time So, yeah, I understand what you're saying. So what are things that you feel like men are distracted with in today's society who maybe do not participate in political conversations or social conversations? Like, what do you think that for women, I'm saying that I think there's a lot of focus on, you know, raising our families or or even the idea of like, are you having another kid? Are you not having another kid? Which is a conversation that Luke and June have of like, should we go off the pill? Should we not? Should we have a second child? All that kind of stuff is like a conversation that they're having. What are things that are distracting to men that that are that keeps them from realizing that things could be happening? Do you guess? Like what distracts Luke in these stories? I would say the biggest would be career. By that, I mean like that would consume a large percentage of men's primary focus such that most other things would fall into kind of that secondary area where your your brain is interested in knowing it, but it doesn't really churn a lot of cycles on it. You know what I mean? Okay. Other stuff would be hobbies um, ranging from anything. I mean, they're all kind of in the same category. I'm not... So fitness and role-playing games are all the same in that category. Sure. You know, because they're just about you, basically, right? Okay. That's another thing that a fair amount of men, I mean, I find myself personal hobbies are are more important to me than watching the news. But specifically like technology and entertainment are probably the two largest categories that distract both men and women. I mean, I'm a podcast host, so, <laughs> so yes. Yeah, we're currently distracting you guys right now from something you probably should be watching on the news. You should be volunteering. I mean, what are you? Absolutely. What are you, what doing? Are you guys even doing? <laughs> this is embarrassing. Ah, oh. yeah. So I mean, interesting, but I think that definitely the fact that Luke is out of pocket, that he's not, that he have is having to travel for work, I think is a good example of you saying like career and you know having to do stuff. Um, the younger and younger guys that I meet at work are less and less tied up in work. They're willing to do their 40 hours. Mm -hmm. You know, you only bought 40 hours. When did Margaret Atwood, when did this book come out? 83. Okay, so then definitely like yuppies, if you will, and the concept of like going to work. Overachievers. And everybody going to work, everybody, men and women, going to work in a really steady fashion as opposed to the the 50s or the 60s where it was more sporadic but like in the 80s i mean working girl and all that stuff was like coming out like everybody's going to work 
by the 80s, right? Men and mm-hmm. women. So yeah, I guess it would make sense that there'd be some sense of like, you know, everybody's too busy. And you could maybe say money, making money was is too much. It's too, too much of a distraction right now. So this is fascinating to me, this whole little glimpse into like, what, what were people doing? Why didn't they make the connection? What, what was it that made people miss the signs? Something as simple as your kid having a fever made you and this particular family perhaps miss some of the most important signals that they were being given. Crazy. Next time my kid gets a fever, I'm going to be like, look, I'd love to deal with you, but I'm going to have to watch the news tonight because I feel real freaked out. I would say right now, living through the Trump presidency has presented us with a presidency like none of where it doesn't even matter what he's doing, really, that there is such a large amount of journalism being posted about what he's doing, what he's saying, the motivations behind it, that he could be doing this right now or not. How we gather that information, since we can't get it firsthand, secondhand, thirdhand, we have to get it through journalism. We'll never know. I think we'll never know. Right. You know? I agree with and I'm you. Not, and I am not saying that Donald Trump is going to Gilead the country. I am just saying... You're just speaking about, in general, the idea of like the information that we get about what our government is actually doing. Yeah. Current day. Right. Is hardly, you know, uh, spot on, nor is it timely. You would, I feel like we find out stuff six months after it happens, the truth comes out. You would need, you know, like in the cop shows, how they put, they have like a cork board and they put up pictures and locations, news stories, and they start drawing lines between it all to kind of get a sense of relationship and time and stuff like that. You would need that same thing, but with laws and government actions and shit like that, right? Yes. No one does that. No one does that. And the people that do are not taken seriously. Well, and here's, so I'm going to tell you two other tiny, small examples of like things that like we all thought we understood. It's like, mm, that's not how it works. Okay, so this is a silly example, but I'll give it to you anyway. So um, in the last couple of days, Coachella, you guys are familiar with that. It's like a big music concert festival. An Oregon festival is suing them right now because there is a five-state radius clause that makes it where no one can hold concerts within five states of the Coachella festival. The amount of manipulation that creates for those who are wanting to have, you know, just like a normal amount of choice, like one other thing to go see that day, they can't. There's nothing within 1,300 miles of the festival that's wild. And I know that's a silly thing, but it's just like such a small moment of like, do you realize how manipulated you were? Like you thought you just chose that, but no, they made it so it was the only choice. I've heard of that for like cities. Uh huh. Five states. Okay. Not only that, but you know what else came out? This is insanity. Ready for this one, Paul? Also, a thing came out this past week that is about dog rescues. And that dog rescues, actually, many of them, in order to keep their grants and a good flow of donations and a good flow of stock, if you will, have now been revealed to purchase dogs from breeders. Through auctions. Now, get this. What breeders have been doing is keeping puppies till they're a year old. And then they sell them at auction to dog rescues. They can make more money off of this. And it is important to the dog rescues because they are able, again, to keep their grants 
to keep their doors open because they have to show an, a certain number of inventory. And if they can bring in a whole bunch of one-year-old yellow labs, all of a sudden the doors are clamoring open with, with little families coming to, to get their dogs from their rescue. Wow. What? This was this was a recent recent thing that was just being being um so this was just an article that came out in the Washington Post. And I mean it showed that uh you know the United States and Canada have spent two point six eight million dollars buying dogs from breeders huh. and s- calling them rescues. Now I know a lot of us can say, well, some of those puppy mills, they truly were being rescued, right? Those were bad places or something like that. True. But who thought their dog was being purchased at auction at from a rescue? That is not what you thought. And so I guess it just in this bigger scheme of like, we feel like we're living at a time that's like, you think you know how something's run. You think you have an idea of what your choices are being given in front of you. Please, with the whole Facebook thing now, with, you know, what ads are popping up in front of you, you think you have some amount of freedom of choice. But it's like freaky how much we're all being manipulated. It's wild. And I'm not a big conspiracy conspiracy theorist kind of person. I'm not saying there's one person this all goes back to or anything like that. It's just I don't think we even can absorb how many people are involved in the decisions of our personal daily lives that we think we're just making choices. Not so much. Well, the one choice we're glad you made was to listen to our podcast. We hope you guys are thinking about some things and you're actually wondering what is going on in this show and in some of the other shows that we cover. One more thing that I have to make sure that we mention at the very end of this is we've covered the flashbacks and we said everything, but there was that last scene with Fred and he was on the phone and he says, the missing handmaid is our only priority. She is with child. And that is like our big like, dun, dun, dun. Like they all know and all points bulletin out for June. Now well, we knew they'd all be looking, but to make sure that Fred is there and to make sure that they are now going to turn over all resources, I think that was an important little nugget to let us know. Well, what he said was, I'm taking command of all five of your divisions or something Can like you that. Imagine. Oh my God. June. Godspeed, woman. Godspeed. If you guys want to listen to some of our other podcasts, please check us out on Daily Review on iTunes or Facebook. Also, D-A-L-E-Y Review on Twitter. We're very active on there. And so many shows.com. Also on SMS on Air, which is the So Many Shows internet radio show. It's on five nights a week, but the best nights are going to be <laughs> Monday and Wednesday when your tried and true podcast hosts, guest hosts with Jay and talk about TV stuff. Love it, you guys. I hope you guys will give us some feedback. We really want to hear what you have to think about this thought-provoking show. Thanks so much. Thanks. Catch us on iTunes or your preferred podcast software. Our website, dailyreview.com, that's D-A-L-E-Y review.com, Facebook or Twitter, or wherever you find us, please leave us a comment and a rating to let us know what you think of the show. Thanks for listening, pot people. Thanks for listening to my mom and dad. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Just go home, folks.